Hi, welcome to the Romance Me podcast. This is Erica. And I'm Em, and we'd like to say a special hello to our number one and only fan. Okay, this greeting is weird. I love when I spell something so fuckeredly that Google prompts me with, why am I not seeing a suggestion? (laughs) Google has no suggestions for you. I was only (laughs) one letter off. Fucking Google. Today we'll be discussing Enemy Lines by Alex Liddell. Kian is determined to rescue everyone he can to make up for the one person he didn't save. This includes his doctor, Ivy, who moved to Denton Valley to escape the danger threatening her life. For mutual benefit, they make an arrangement. He will help her learn to function under constant pressure, and she will help him get his medical clearance renewed. But when Ivy backs out of their deal, will Kian be able to forgive her and finally work to save himself? There will be spoilers beyond this point. We have a content warning, trauma survivorship, unhealthy couple dynamics, emotional manipulation slash abuse, physical altercation between the couple, and indentured servitude. (laughs) Well, Erica, are you ready to be romanced? (laughs) I I was born ready. (laughs) I couldn't help myself. Sorry. (laughs) But I don't know if this story is conducive to that. I think the story starts here, and I think it would be a good idea to start with Ivy and with what happens when she's in Boston, because it kind of sets the stage and the tone and all that good stuff. Ivy is a brilliant young surgeon. She has a wonderful residency at Massachusetts General Hospital, a competitive residency. Yes. One night she's working in the ER and a gang member threatens her with a gun over the other gang member who is lying on her table saying, if you don't save him, I'm going to kill you. This understandably... (laughs) (laughs) Mm-hmm. Makes it difficult for Ivy to work. She does her best, but the other gang member dies. Security gets involved due to the gun, but the gun-wielding gang member did not get caught. And when she's done with her shift, she exits the building and is accosted in the parking lot by gun-wielding gang member, a.k.a. Candy Crush. Isn't that a game? Yeah, it's a cell phone game. Okay. Yes, I'm old. (laughs) Who, again, threatens her life. As you do. Out of nowhere, a German Shepherd dog attacks him, enabling Ivy to escape. And escape she does, along with the German Shepherd. Yay. Who she adopts. And names Bumblebee. I thought he came with the name Bumblebee. Because she tries to find the owner and then is like, this owner is not worthy of the dog. And she was worried that because oh. Bumblebee bit someone, that Bumblebee would then be put down. I could be remembering that incorrectly, though. Well, you remembered the second part correctly, so you probably remembered the name part correctly as well. I did not, apparently. <laughs> Which is fine. I'll take the credit. It's fine. You get credit for all dog facts (gasps) in this 
podcast. Yay. I am drunk with power. <laughs> As you should be. Ivy and Bumblebee move to Denton Valley, Colorado to hide out from the gang member who still wants to kill her. It's one of those things where if a gang member dies, then a life is owed as retribution. And if Candy Crush isn't able to produce said life, then it will be his own life that is paid. So he has a lot riding on finding Ivy. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want to die. Yes. Funnily enough, neither does <laughs> Ivy. <laughs> Denton Valley is in rural Colorado. Ivy buys a farm and works at the medical clinic there. She is treated as an outsider by pretty much everyone she meets at work due to her Harvard degree and extensive resume and the fact that she comes from the city, I would imagine. Quite possibly. I think there's a thing, something to be said about small towns where everyone knows each other. It's harder to become part of it, you know, even if they're welcoming. It's harder to feel like you're part of the group. Ivy is working at the clinic when she meets our hero, Kian. Yay. Our hero, <laughs> Kian. <laughs> Kian needs to get his medical clearance renewed. He's been going to the same doctor at this clinic for years because this doctor is willing to look the other way and just sign off. Unfortunately for him, that doctor has retired and Ivy <laughs> is now his doctor. And she is not willing to look the other way and sign off. What? She asks him questions about his physical wellness that Kian just cannot abide. <laughs> <laughs> How dare <laughs> he snaps at her grumpishly and tells her to get her nose out of his business and stalks off but unfortunately for him ivy took some notes and put them in his medical record <laughs> yes <laughs> so kian is an ex Navy SEAL. He got gravely injured while in Afghanistan and sustained pretty extensive injuries to like one side of his body due to an explosion mm -hmm. and has a lot of scarring. He has some decreased mobility in his one shoulder. It's a lot of physical damage, but he also has sustained a lot of emotional damage as well because his commander, while under fire in Afghanistan, forced him to retreat instead of try to save his friend and fellow soldier, Barr, who then died during that same incident. Yeah. Kian has ever since felt a great amount of guilt, survivor's guilt, I guess, over being the boy who lived 
-hmm. As a result, he seeks out situations where one, he can be the rescuer, and two, he can get that adrenaline rush. Mm-hmm. He is a part owner, I think, or something of this search and rescue team called Trident Rescue. This is the third book in a series surrounding the members of Trident Rescue. This job requires medical clearance <laughs> to perform certain physical tasks. He also does horse therapy for autistic children, which also requires medical clearance. He also has a lot of hobbies like rock climbing that require medical clearance. (laughs) And overall, his whole life is now fucked due to these notes in his file. (laughs) Basically. Basically. Although... I think the notes being in his file aren't necessarily a bad thing because they're honest. And Kian has not been living honestly with himself. Nope. He has not tried to continue any physical therapy to improve his situation. He hasn't done any emotional therapy. He has kind of locked himself into a tower of solitude and loneliness, and grumpitude, Mm -hmm. and is willing to lash out at anyone who tries to enter said tower. Yeah, it's pretty great. (laughs) There's also this side, well, I don't know if it's a side thing, but there's, there's also this thing about Kian's past in that his parents were like an actor and a, and a model or something. And he used to model when he was younger, before he was in the military. Now his gorgeous face is ruined by scars. Yes. But it doesn't really seem to be a big deal to him. He does hide his face under a hat that he wears pretty low. I don't know. I kind of thought it was a big deal for him. Uh, okay, you're right. Unreliable narrator, because he says it's not a big deal to him. But, again, (laughs) this is Kian we're talking about. (laughs) He's okay with a little dishonesty. And then another thing about him is that he is also really rich because he's a financial advisor. But that really doesn't come up at all in the story. No, it didn't really seem like it did. So, later... After this wonderful doctor's visit, Kian is at home at his farm doing some horse therapy with a child when a German shepherd starts running at them. He gets in between the child and the horse and the German shepherd and wraps his arm up in his leather jacket. The German shepherd attacks him, biting him. It's pretty vicious. It turns out this is Ivy's dog, Bumblebee. He got loose. From the farm next door, which Ivy bought. Ivy comes racing after him. Oh no, it's fine. He would never hurt you, she says. (laughs) As Bumblebee is digging his, I would say, significant amount of bite force into Kian's forearm. Yeah. Yeah, German Shepherds have really strong bite force. 
Yeah, I know huskies have like 300 pound bite force. So I would imagine German Shepherd is comparable or possibly more. I don't know the exact number, but I do know it's high. Not pleasant. No. Kian is understandably pissed off (laughs) at this shoddy dog ownership. He yells at her and she takes her dog and goes home. I don't know what to make of the whole Bumblebee thing after this scene. I At first I was like, okay, no, Bumblebee is a good boy because he protected Ivy from a gang member. Mm-hmm. But here he is just randomly biting a stranger. It's a little worrying. Yeah. I'm not saying that he deserves to die, but I'm worried. Yeah, I... <sighs> I don't know what to make of the Bumblebee thing because it it's after this point like he seems utterly cool with Cayenne. That is what I don't get, and I find it troubling. Cayenne yeah. found it troubling too. I find it troubling that she didn't know that her dog responds to German commands. Yes, like whoever owned Bumblebee before taught them in German. It's not an uncommon thing to do, but yeah, for her to not know that that to me seems like unsafe dog ownership or dog stealing or whatever and f- and for bumblebee to even get loose yes yeah for bumblebee to to be loose and she seems to have no control over bumblebee because he's constantly like jumping on people herself yeah it's like um mm. <laughs> i'm very worried about bumblebee yes bumblebee needs a better owner who is better equipped to deal with his behavior. Yes. But yes, to to add to what I was saying before, yeah, it seemed very strange to me that Bumblebee went from, I hate you, I want to bite you, or I'm protective and I want to bite you, to, no, no, dude, we're cool. That seems strange to me, from what I know of dogs. Yeah, no, I, I agree. That also seems strange to me. And... The way the scene is written, it's not very clear what set Bumblebee off because it could have been the horse. Yeah. It could have been the fact that Kian was behaving aggressively or in a way Bumblebee perceived to be aggressive to protect the horse and the child. Mm-hmm. It could have been any number of things. I sure hope it wasn't the child, but who knows? Yeah, we don't know. I'm very worried about Bumblebee. <laughs> yes. But no one else is, so it's fine. (laughs) Yep, I don't know what to tell you there. (laughs) This is also the beginning of where we see examples of Ivy's ineptness. Because she kind of is portrayed to be pretty inept in a lot of ways. Yes. The fact that she's not able to manage her dog properly is a huge one. Because I could tell you from my perspective, when I learned I was getting a big dog, it's like, okay, well, we're going to training. So I know how to handle this. Yeah. (laughs) To make sure everyone's safe and happy. That's responsible dog ownership. I don't know. I sort of saw Ivy's thing was uh, she really, really, really almost pathologically avoids confrontation. Yeah. And I kind of treated it as as that. Her not wanting to confront Bumblebee is just an extension of not wanting to confront just anything. And I mean, I... Then how the fuck did she get through med school? Well, there's confrontation and then there's confrontation. As a woman surgeon, like... (laughs) 
I, I, I also get... She has to have some balls somewhere. Which she does. And she discover, rediscovers her balls, so to speak, by the end of the story. But I think at this point, she's just not not confronting anything. And especially anything that on some level she perceives as violent, which Bumblebee, I mean, kind of is. Yeah. I mean, Bumblebee attacked well, he the, is. the Candy Crush and attacked the hero. Maybe he senses something in both of those gentlemen. <laughs> Who knows? Who's to say? Like I said, I think it's just an extension of her just kind of like, no, no, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. And not wanting to face anything that that might turn violent, aggressive or whatever at her. Not that Kian helps the situation. No. And, and I mean, I can't remember if it's ever stated if she's ever owned a dog, period let alone a big dog, because even small dogs can bite. I suspect not. <laughs> so, you know, which to me is troubling, because it's like, okay, you go from no dog ever to big dog, and you clearly don't know what you're doing. This is wonderful. To vicious big dog. Yeah, to a dog that, that needs someone to be their human, to be their, yeah, you know, their owner, their responsible human. Who needs guidance. Person. Yes. Well, anyway, okay, so <laughs> that this is, I think, just the first of many examples of Ivy kind of being a bit inept, though. And that's how Kian perceives her Yeah, at this point in the story, too. She's this frail, inept, little slip of a woman. He yells at her when he sees her in her doctor's office, and then he yells at her again. His voice is set on yell. It's just, <laughs> yeah. He yells at her again after her dog attacks him, which I don't really blame him for that one. No. I mean, <laughs> yeah, a dog comes charging at you. You know, yelling <laughs> seems appropriate, if not particularly helpful. He's got a dog hanging off of his arm <laughs> by the teeth. I don't blame him for yelling at that point. No. But it's fine, guys. Everything's fine. <laughs> After this incident, Kian goes to a different doctor to try to get his medical clearance sorted out. And he finds out about the note Ivy left on his file, which is preventing any other doctor from giving out said clearance. So before it was okay. Doctors could just easily look the other way because there was nothing on paper. But now <laughs> they can't without potentially getting in trouble. Ivy... Meanwhile, is working in the ER. There have been several car accident victims brought in. It's pretty fast-paced. Kian, I guess he was a medic in the military, and then he's also a medic for the Trident Rescue. Helps out, but he doesn't really help as much as he just kind of takes over. He doesn't like how Ivy is handling things, and he starts issuing orders and trying to take over her patient. And Ivy... She kind of lets him, I hate to say. Yeah. She does try to get him out of her way, but he refuses. And then she just lets him help her. And then when the head doctor comes by and sees what's going on, he has them both wait by his office. Things have calmed down at this point. So they're not waiting by his office <laughs> instead of helping people, mind you. <laughs> yeah, I think he sends Kyan away. And then says, we'll join you in a minute. Ivy goes up to the office and sees 
key in there and tells him off. You took over my patient. How dare you? Stay out of my way type of thing. And then he grabs her by the arm and drags her into a closet and yells at her. Because that hasn't happened enough. Why he felt the need to drag her into a closet to do that, I don't know. That's how he is, folks. Because he wants to put them in a small, tight space. So I think that he's picked up on her tell. Yeah. That she gets triggered by this really close contact, violent sort of communication. And I think he's maybe not on purpose, but using that to manipulate her. Oh, I think he's doing it on purpose, but yeah. Because why else is he doing it if it's not intended? Well, he doesn't realize that that's what he's doing, maybe, is what I mean. Hmm. You're kinder than I am. <laughs> I don't know. I think I think the text says that he wanted privacy. Conference rooms, but yeah. Why, though? She felt free to yell at him without privacy. Why didn't he just give back in kind? He's kind to everyone but her. Ugh, he's an ass. Until he realizes, oh, wait, I might be sexually attracted to her. Now I'll be nice to you. Oh, no, not really. He's mad that he's sexually attracted to her. This is true. Now I have to continue to pull your ponytails because I have feelings. <laughs> he's not allowed to have any feelings except anger. Mm, he's working on that real well. She makes him let her out of the closet, and he does, thankfully. And then they both get told off by Dr. Yarborough, who's the head doctor. He suspends Kian and tells Ivy that she needs to spend three weeks in the ER instead of the clinic so that she can get used to their protocols in the smaller town. I think that's reasonable for what happened. Yeah, because she didn't understand his scope of practice. But still, she was the physician. <laughs> I think, though, that he should have told them off separately. I think that would have been the more professional way to handle it. I agree with you. At any rate, Ivy's now working in the ER every day. She doesn't really mind it, I don't think. She thrives in a learning environment, so she's working really hard to get up to speed on how they do things there. While she's on a lunch break, she meets Adriana, who is a physical therapist. Adriana is one of the few people who works there who's friendly with her. We learn that she is the widow of Barr, who is Kian's friend that he lost in Afghanistan. And while they're chatting, she invites Ivy out for drinks with the girls the following week. We get a little bit of insight on Ivy's part into Kian. Maybe he has some emotional trauma there due to his friend dying in the war type of thing. I get it, I guess, but it's still really hard to feel bad for him. I can feel empathy for what he went through, but that doesn't give him an excuse to act the way he's acting now because he's not taking any responsibility for fixing himself. Yeah. Or for how his actions affect others. For me, it was a tricky thing because on one hand... I was like an actual person I would have a lot of sympathy for, but this character I don't. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's the thing is this is a character. It sucks if you're in a position to where your body, you feel like your body is betraying you. Yes. It sucks when people tell you, no, you cannot do the things yes. that you want to do. 
Especially if you're used to being able to do them. Yes. But with this character, he just keeps yelling at everybody. And yes, that can be symptomatic of the fact that he's in so much pain. But I just, I don't feel bad for him. I don't, I don't care. (laughs) Yes, I know he was trying to help a kid. The same kid, in fact, that she was supposed to try to find funding for in the beginning of the story. Which I'm like, is anybody helping this kid anymore? Or are we forgetting about this kid now? Because he was supposed to be the object for a dog. And then that's it. So nobody else is going to help the kid. Great. Okay, moving on. He got horse therapy. It's fine. <gasps> That'll fix everything wrong. Not that horses aren't fabulous and fix all kinds of things. Because they do. Yeah, no, I was having that conflict because I was like, no, person, feel bad. Uh, but character is asshole. Can't. Yeah, I guess that's what it is, right? He just, he doesn't feel like a person. No, he he didn't. He felt more like a character. Yeah, he feels like just an angry obstacle throughout most of the story. Mm-hmm. He's this angry, obstinate, hurting man who can't see past that at all. And the question that I was asking myself was, Does he move past this? Does he grow? Does he change in any sort of meaningful way? Because at this point in the story, I'm like, I don't want her to be with him. No, absolutely not. I feel no sexual tension. The tensions that I am feeling I don't like. Not to be spoilery or anything. It's just, yeah. At this point, at this point in the story, the author has dropped in little, oh, but he's so hot. Oh, but she's so hot. And it's hard to get on board with that because he's just so angry and violent. Mm-hmm. I hate to say it. It's not all about the pretty or hotness yeah, or no. whatever. Like He could be the hottest person on the planet and he's still a huge walking red flag. Uh-huh. Totally. <laughs> he's a whole handful of red flags. Mm-hmm. Big old bucket of them. You can have characters that present those sort of challenges to each other, like the anger and and all of that. But there has to be something there that makes the reader, and maybe I'm just not the right reader, but goes like, no, no, he's a good guy. I I want her to end up with him. Not, oh, I'm feeling uncomfortable. I know where this is going. (laughs) And I don't like it. A lot of heroes in romance are grumpy. They have that gruff, grumpy exterior. Yes. To hide their sweet, hidden underbelly that got hurt. Right? (laughs) Yes. That is no different in this book. However, in most of the stories that I've read, the grumpy hero does not want to hurt the heroine. Yes. And in this story, it really kind of felt like he wanted to bother her. Yeah. He wanted to get under her skin. Yeah. He wanted her to be afraid of him or intimidated by him. Mm-hmm. And that is the part that is so hard for me to look past. I don't want a hero, unless it's a dark romance, I don't want a hero who is so fucking dark. <laughs> yeah. Kain says it throughout. I don't want to hurt her or some variation of that. I'm like, okay, you say this. But you yell at her frequently. You belittle her constantly. Then you're like, no, no, wait, I like her, so I'll stop. Or whatever. I'll curb this. 
But by that time in the story, there's already been this pattern of him throwing emotional grenades at her. Yeah. So it just makes me, the reader, go, you say this, but you do this other thing. Are you sure? Because you you brought it up before, unreliable narrator. Yeah. Yeah, he totally feels like he doesn't know himself. I think it boils down to him not respecting her. Oh, yeah. At this point in the story. Yes. He feels like she's inept. All he's seen is this weak little easily cowed wisp of a woman. And he has no respect for her. Nope. And when she steps out of line, a.k.a. tries to do her job correctly, he can't handle it because he doesn't respect her. He is the knowing of all things. That night after work, Ivy gets home. There's a storm. It's a bad storm. A tree falls into her house, destroying her house. She looks out the window and sees Kian's horses marauding (laughs) in her yard. Kian finds her because he has to rescue and makes her get on the horse with him while he rounds up the rest of his horses to get them to safety. Bumblebee assists with this. So from this point on, Bumblebee's totally fine. There's no other problems with Bumblebee, (laughs) which is okay. After that, Kian tells Ivy that she'll be staying with him. She can get on into the house and he's going to go handle stuff in the stable Ivy, however, sees a car accident and goes to assist at the car accident. And when Kian gets there, because he also sees it, he does not expect to find this, but he does find Ivy being a competent doctor. (gasps) Who knew? Lies. Harvard education notwithstanding, she knows what she's doing. (laughs) Gosh. (laughs) He assists her in a actual helpful way. I think that's where the switch kind of flips in his brain and he realizes, oh, wait, she's not always like this woman. I assume she was. She's actually this awesome doctor lady. Dr. Ivy medicine woman. I don't know whether he now begins to respect her or not, but he does make more of an effort to not be an asshole to her. Hey, baby steps. After they help the people in the car accident, He gets Ivy set up in his guest room. He's feeling protective of her at this point. So much so that when she doesn't emerge from the bathroom after however long he deems is too long, (laughs) he barges in to find her with a ginormous gash on her leg that needs stitches. I love it. No knock. He was just like, woo. Hi there. (laughs) Fucking excuse me. (laughs) He has a bunch of medical supplies that he's probably not supposed to have that he brings over to her. He helps her inject herself with lidocaine because she's struggling to inject herself. But then she is able to give herself the stitches and he's impressed by that too. Oh, she does a much better job than I ever could. (laughs) Ivy tells him about the night she found Bumblebee, how Bumblebee helped her with some thugs in a parking lot. And this sets a little signal in Kian's brain. Oh, I wonder if this is why she left Massachusetts. Ivy tries to thank him for saving her life. And he tells her she can thank him by getting rid of the notes in his medical file. Oh, that old chestnut. And Ivy says, quote, you want me to thank you for saving my life by helping you endanger yours? And he replies, 
I want you to either trust me or get out of the way. Mm-hmm. And he pulls his grumpy pants up to his armpits and stalks <laughs> off. I love that visual. <laughs> the next morning, Ivy wakes up. She sees Kean outside sh- shoveling snow. When he comes in, he tells her she's going to probably have to stay with him for a few days because the roads are all closed. They argue. Ivy was trying to make it clear that she appreciates that he's doing this stuff for her, but she doesn't want him to think that's going to make any impact on her decision regarding his medical records. (laughs) That makes him mad. So he bitches at her. And then he wants to know why she left her hospital residency in Massachusetts. (laughs) She decides she'll tell him as long as he answers questions in return. So they do that question for a question sort of conversation. They each learn some stuff about each other, which endears them to each other, sort of-ish. I think that's what's supposed to happen. Kian then suggests a deal. He's going to help her with her gang problem and also to get over her shaking hands that she now has when under stress and she will fix his medical files. And she agrees with the caveat that he will allow her to do some physical therapy and run some tests on him. So she's not willing to just lie on his medical record, but she is willing to work with him and try to make it okay. After that, Ivy goes to the gym to meet with Kian and Eli. Eli is one of the other dudes on the Trident rescue team. And they work on exposure therapy with yelling. It's (laughs) effective-ish. So after this, Ivy meets Danny, who's Eli's pregnant psychologist wife. And she makes a really good point that exposure therapy is great provided it's in a controlled environment with people you trust, etc., etc. And I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. Uh-huh. Was that what this was? No. Ivy says it is, but I don't know that I believe her. <laughs> I think she is also unreliable. <laughs> Agreed. Danny then decides to piss Kean off and tell him that Colin, who is another dude with the Trident Rescue, has sidelined him from the rescue team until he spends some time talking to her as psychologist. Kian is pissed. (laughs) Kian reacts with anger. (laughs) There's the story. It is not effective. (laughs) (laughs) Eli, understandably, gets a little protective. This is his pregnant wife. (laughs) (laughs) Kian punches a hole in the wall, which is not the only hole he punches in a wall in this book. No, but to be fair, the wall had it coming. (laughs) The men almost come to blows and Ivy intercedes, but gets yelled at. (laughs) So she runs away. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Because confrontation and violence and stuff is scary and loud voices are scary. So she flees. Oh my gosh. (laughs) This poor traumatized woman. Well, I think he had asked her if she wants her blood all over the mat or something. And it's not she funny, flees at but that I'm point. Laughing. It sounds like a threat. I know he didn't mean <laughs> it that way. He meant like, I almost hit way. you instead of Eli. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I know this book wasn't a comedy, but I found myself laughing at really inopportune moments. It's the discomfort <laughs> laugh. It's like if I don't, a 
I'm gonna scream or cry. So I'll laugh. It's fine. <laughs> Ivy makes it as far as the parking lot before Kian is able to bring her back, wrap her in a blanket, and sit her in a chair, and everyone calms down, basically on her behalf. Allow me to burrito her. It'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. Let's swaddle her like a baby. So I'm picturing everyone sitting in a chair, glowering at each other. Ivy is swaddled up in a blanket. Danny is trying to use her psychologist voice. And Eli and Kian have like this barely contained rage. <laughs> I know it's not funny. And yet... But it was kind of amusing <laughs> to think about. <laughs> Kian suggests that Ivy and Danny go get some food so that he and Eli can beat the shit out of each other. And he doesn't say it that way, but that's what happens. Yeah, some guys solve problems weird. I don't get it. That's why it's weird to me. That's probably a bad way to put it. But I want to know, is there a military romance where the men don't want to beat the shit out of each other all the time? I don't know. I I think I'm, the only ones I've read are the ones who've done the podcast. So I'm not the person to ask. I would like to think that not all military romances are so abusive. I don't think they all are. I mean, there's a lot of them, right? Like, statistically, <laughs> some of them would not. Can we just have, like, a protective one, you know, and he's badass because he's got skills? Next time. You know, he's otherwise well-adjusted. I don't know how many of our characters in general are well-adjusted, so that may be a high bar. <laughs> I mean, being in the military fucks a lot of people up. This I understand true. that. I get that. I feel like there is a little bit of realism there. But do they all want to kill each other all the time? Is it always a switch? And if so, I'm sorry. I hope you get help. Yes. I found myself having a lot of sympathy for actual people, but again, not the characters. I don't know if I'm supposed to feel sympathy for the characters. I don't know what the rules are, but yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not a good rule follower, so I'm probably not the one to ask. Okay, so the next day after this gym incident, Ivy and Kian go to the North Vault, which is Liam's nightclub. Liam being another member of Trident Rescue. To get some intel about Candy Crush... We learn that he's been laying low after the hospital incident because he owes the Bronze Bay Boys gang. I couldn't get over the name. <laughs> the BBB. B3s. <laughs> Three Bs, B3s. He owes them a life for the death of his fellow gang member Cupid with a K. And that's why he wants to kill Ivy. Mm -hmm. And they make this plan. They're going to figure out where he's hiding give him to the police along with the security footage from the hospital incident. About a week passes, Kian comes by the hospital to pick Ivy up from work. And he comes in and he realizes that the other staff are treating her like an outsider and he doesn't like it and he offers to set them straight, but she refuses. It's fine. I'm used to it. <laughs> Back at home, because Ivy's still living with Kian, she works on his scar tissue and helps him gain some mobility in his arm, which is nice. Yay! It's also painful. Yay! But he gets turned on by her touching him and being so close. 
and he hasn't allowed himself to be so close to a woman in ages. So she sees his boner, and then they kiss. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what happens. You're not wrong. I would be a little concerned. <laughs> Here I am, like, ripping scar tissue off of your muscles to help you gain mobility. That's how it's described in the book. Yeah. I look down, and there's a boner. <laughs> I have questions. <laughs> Some people really like pain. Yeah. True. <laughs> uh, before things can progress very far, they're interrupted by Key and Sister Jazz. It's time for the aforementioned girls' night. Jazz and other women have come to abduct Ivy and take her out for fun. We get the obligatory group with the other women from other previous and future books in the series. I know that's a thing, but for some reason in this book, it really got to me because everyone's pretending that Kian's not an abusive asshole. And really, they're all just worried about his self-destructive lifestyle. They're worried it'll go too far and he'll hurt himself. To be fair, we haven't read the other books, so maybe his behavior is similar to what they've experienced with their bows. Therefore, it's not weird. They're not worried about Ivy, though. She's fine. Yeah. He would never hurt her. Nope. Foreshadowing. (laughs) (laughs) It's so weird because, like, they just meet her. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if they would necessarily bring all the heavy stuff to girls' night. But they do, though. They're all like, Kian is going to kill himself. You can't give him medical clearance. How dare you? Whatever he says, don't do it. <laughs> save him, not yourself. It's your job to save him. You're the woman in this story. Yes. Do the emotional labor. Save him. That is your job. <laughs> I mean, she's a doctor, so it should be easy for her, right? Yep. Do no harm. That is her oath. It is an oath that we mock, apparently, but... We get a scene, I think maybe the next day, where Kian teaches Ivy some self-defense moves. And at this point, he tells her that he doesn't want anyone to take away his choices about what risks he can take. (laughs) Because that's why Barr died. Oh no, he's having his choices taken away. And not only that, but she's not taking away his choice. She's just telling him that he has to do it the right way. He has to get his medical clearance the right way. That is an infringement on his way of wanting to live his life. And how dare anybody infringe on the way he wishes to live his life. (laughs) She doesn't have a say. She doesn't know anything. She's not him. No. She's not a seal. She's just a woman. Yep. She's just a surgeon. That's all. That is all. (laughs) (laughs) she's just a harvard surgeon that's all (laughs) like i said for actual people lots of empathy for this guy nah (laughs) ugh i had to fight the urge to argue with him throughout listening to the story actually (laughs) i take that back i didn't fight the urge (laughs) this conversation that they have while he's teaching her self-defense lends to some emotional intimacy along with the physical closeness that they are currently doing. So there's more kissing. And then they go and have the sex. And it's wonderful. And she spends the night in his bed. Isn't it great? Fucking fantastic. Are you pleased? Sure. (laughs) They go to visit Eli and Danny. Danny had fallen. And so Eli kind of 
wants free medical advice. I mean, that's really what it is. Yes. Ivy, after learning about some symptoms that Danny has that may have caused her to fall, wants Danny to go to the ER because they're indicative of preeclampsia, which is not happy. No. They take two cars to the hospital and they get in another humongous car accident with a semi and a bunch of other cars. There's a lot of car accidents in this town. (laughs) So now Danny is in labor. Ivy and Eli are trying to get Danny situated. She may be having that baby there. We'll see. Kian sees another car off in the distance on fire and goes to see if he can rescue anybody. He does. He rescues a small child at great personal risk to himself. Yes, we have to have something for the hero to do. The fire chief points out to him that he noticed Kian didn't get scared, and that's worrisome. I agree. Well, yes. (laughs) Uh, When Kian's done being a hero, he finds Danny is now in an ambulance, and her baby is in the breech position. Ivy's been unable to turn the baby around, and so she does an emergency cesarean to save the baby and mother. And she does this cool as a cucumber with no trembling hands. So she's fixed. The yelling at the gym worked. Yay. We have a small time jump. Ivy and Kian are continuing their sexual relationship. But are they talking about the future? No. She's still living with him. Her house is now getting repaired. Woo-woo. And they're on their way to Eli and Danny's again for a Thanksgiving slash welcome baby party. While there, Ivy's sister Emma calls her, and Ivy learns she's on TV. She's famous now due to her heroic baby delivery during the car wreck. This is a problem because now Candy Crush knows where she is. Three days later, Kian finds out Candy Crush got arrested while he was on his way to Colorado. And Liam says, don't worry, he'll be in jail at least until Tuesday because of the holiday and everything. He goes home and finds that Ivy has her sister Emma and Jazz both over to visit. And he introduces himself to Emma as Ivy's boyfriend. Because that's how it works, guys. Yay. Emma was kind of a problematic character for me. Yeah. She's introduced as having no filter. One of the first things she says to Kian is a question about his scarred face. And then when Ivy tells her, hey, excuse you much, she's like, oh, it's not like he doesn't know. Hmm. (laughs) yes oh emma that sent me into a little introspective moment where i was trying to figure out how i felt about it because yeah you're right it's not like he didn't know however it's not your business either it's kind of a cultural thing depending on what culture you're from it's absolutely acceptable to bring things like that up but yeah not so much here yeah, like asking someone, so why are you in a wheelchair? Or, yes. Hey, <laughs> I noticed you have a giant scar on your face. What's that all about? People do do things like that. I think it's one of those things. It depends on the moment and it depends on how you ask. If it's the first thing out of your mouth, right when you're meeting someone, that's maybe not the time. Emma does some questionable things later, too, so... I don't know how I feel about her. Yeah, it made me wonder about her. Later, Kian tells Ivy about Candy Crush being in jail. Ivy feels a little bit better about that. 
But the next day she shows him the video that Jazz sent her of Kian rescuing the child from the flaming car. Kian gets grumpy again and fucks off. Ivy's a little worried about him. She learns from Jazz that it's the anniversary of Bar's death. So just let him be grumpy today. Give him the space. I kind of wish Jazz had warned her the day before when she sent her the video. You know, hey, yeah, you should discuss this with him, but maybe not tomorrow. Yeah. Or some sort of heads up might have been nice. (laughs) Yeah. Ivy is still worried about Kian when she's at work and she tries to call Liam and ask about the situation. She sends him the video. She kind of wants to know, is it normal for you guys to be self-destructive adrenaline junkies or is it just him? (laughs) Because if it's normal, then maybe I can overlook it. But if it's just him, then I can be worried. Liam says that she needs to ask Kian these things. I think that was a good response. Yes, yes. That night, Ivy leaves work a little bit early and on the drive home, gets hit by a car. When she gets out to check to see if the other driver is okay, she is grabbed by Candy Crush. Oh, no. Yeah, and she's like, they didn't have their headlights on. And I was like, because they were lying in wait. (laughs) Yep. Meanwhile, Kian is talking to Liam about Ivy and also talking about how this other organization, Obsidian Ops, wants to hire him. Liam tells Kian off for going after Ivy when he won't take care of himself. He says something like, you need to pick one, dude. You can't be a self-destructive asshole. And be with this nice girl. Kian realizes it's about time for Ivy to get off of work. So he calls her and she doesn't answer her phone. He finds that to be unusual. And so he gets one of his co-workers slash friends to find out what happened with Candy Crush. And learn that he was, quote, sick and got taken to the hospital and then managed to escape. So that's not good. No. Kian tracks Ivy's phone because, you know, of course he does. Of course. Makes it there in time to save her and almost beats Candy Crush to death. And then Liam takes Candy Crush to the hospital. (laughs) Candy not crushed. (laughs) Kian and Ivy have wild adrenaline-fueled sex in the woods without protection. And then they go home and have more wild adrenaline-fueled sex. The next day, Kian finds a contract from the Massachusetts General that was printed out and it makes him think about how he's not good enough for Ivy. And then we get a little backstory about his ex-girlfriend, Sandra, who he dated after he was in the military and she left him to pursue modeling in L.A. and it just made him feel like shit or something. I don't know. I didn't care. (laughs) He talks to Ivy about the contract She doesn't seem super thrilled about it, even though maybe she should, because it's an amazing contract that any surgeon might want. And then he says, speaking of contracts, now you can fix my medical record before you go back to Massachusetts. She refuses going back on their deal because she is worried about him. He won't let her explain why. She tries, but he's too angry. He punches a hole in the wall. The wall had it coming. And then he says something like, maybe he should have just called the police instead of rescuing her from Candy Crush himself so she could get raped and whatnot. 
This is our hero. And she slaps him. And this is our heroine. (laughs) He shoves her away and she falls down and hits her head on the coffee table. Oops. She's now bleeding from a head wound. That's not that much blood. It'll be fine. I mean, head wounds bleed a lot, even if they're small. I know. I'm being an ass. (laughs) (laughs) She leaves his ass and goes to stay with her sister Emma in her hotel room. Yay. Kian keeps trying to call. They reject his calls. At one point, Emma picks up the phone and tells him off. Jazz comes over because even though Kian's her brother, she's worried about Ivy. And then she realizes that Ivy's in love with Kian. She points it out. Ivy admits this, but says she will never get back together with him. And I was like, go you. Woohoo. Unfortunately, that is not the book we're reading. <laughs> A week has passed. Ivy has signed the contract. She's getting ready to move back to Massachusetts. And she finds out Emma took pictures of Kian and submitted them to a gossip magazine. She's really pissed about it. She tries to tell her sister, can you undo this? Emma's like, no, why would I? Emma. (laughs) That was the other thing about Emma. I just, really? Like, really, though? I forget. Did she do it because her sister got hurt and she wanted payback? Or does she just not understand that that is a... uh, asshole thing to do i think she had planned to do it before she knew okay because she was taking pictures of him in secret when they were hanging out together yes so i think she recognized him and had these plans she's got like this wannabe journalism thing going on she figured well now ivy just shouldn't care because it turns out he's an asshole yeah ivy tries to call kian to explain what's going on but can't get a hold of him so she drives to his house and pleads with him to let her in, but he refuses to talk to her. He is in love with her, but he has come to the conclusion that she sold him out. And he is not willing to hear anything she has to say. So she leaves. <sighs> his attorney calls him about his medical clearance that still isn't up to date. Kian is so upset because due to Ivy's interference, it's not going to get fixed. And now his whole life is ruined and it's all her fault. Mm -hmm. So he decides he's going to take that job with Obsidian Ops because they don't care. Because they're shady AF. I mean, with a name like Obsidian Ops, are you surprised? Yes. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Are they all wearing black cowboy hats too? Or I mean, that's the thing. is you come up with a name you think is cool and maybe or maybe not, you're into some shady shit. It happens. (laughs) At least in stories. We get a time jump of two weeks. Ivy is now at her fancy new job, but she misses the clinic and she misses Kian. Yeah, so apparently when she was in Denton Valley, she discovered that she actually likes general practice and not surgery and doesn't want to be a high-powered, super-rich, sought-after surgeon. She wants to be... (laughs) A general practitioner in a rural clinic, which, okay, fine, but still, I just, I don't know. I don't know. I think I would find that more believable if she kept advocating for that kid, the autistic kid that she's with in the beginning. Oh. That we forget about by this point and had more meaningful interactions with the local populace. (laughs) 
Yeah, I just don't understand why she feels that way. I think that's the main problem I have. Because there's really not a lot of evidence for why she would feel that way. No. Oh, yeah, she also finds out she's pregnant. Surprise! So there's that. I mean, they did have unprotected sex, and the author made a point to let us know that it was unprotected, so I wasn't really too surprised. And it's a romance novel. And did you notice, just before the altercation happens, he makes a pregnant pause? Oh, did he? (laughs) I I don't know if if the author meant for that, or if that was just one of those oops things. Back with Kian... It's now been a month since they've been in contact with each other, and he's been on back-to-back operations with Obsidian Ops. They're kind of shady. They don't let you have your personal communication with you. You have to keep it in this vault, and you can go check it, but you have to be in the vault when you check it. You can't take it out with you. And when he checks his phone, the boss guy, Lucius, recommends he doesn't bother, at least for a few months, Because what's the point? It's not like you can leave. (laughs) You can check out, but you can never leave. Kian checks his phone anyway and finds out Ivy is pregnant. So he decides to sneak his phone back to his bunk. And then he tries to call her, leaves her a voicemail message. And then he calls Liam and leaves the call connected when Hennessy, one of the other Obsidian Ops dudes, technology dude, busts him for having a cell signal. And Kian is almost able to talk his way out of it when his phone beeps to let him know it's low battery. Thanks, phone. So Lucius gets the phone destroyed and has Kian taken into custody and they beat him up pretty bad and lock him in a cell. And then Hennessy has his own motivations. He goes through the records on Kian's phone and finds out the info about Ivy and makes a plan because he wants to get Kian under his thumb. He wants money, doesn't he? I don't think he wants money. I think he just wants power. Oh. I think that's what it is. I got the impression he was really power hungry and no one respected him because he was a little non-jock. Gotcha. Ivy, meanwhile, is leaving work when a pregnant woman asks for her help. She thinks she has a broken arm. But unfortunately, this woman turns out to be Candy Crush's sister, Bianca, and she pulls a gun on Ivy, reveals she's not really pregnant, and captures Ivy. Oh, no. Uh Uh-oh. Back with Kian, one of the dudes that he worked with, Gomez, visits him in his cell and gives him some water and some painkillers, and also some advice to not argue with Lucius and just work the contract. You signed your life away for two years, buddy. Just work it out. So when Lucius comes by to talk to Kian, he agrees that he will now toe the line. And we learn that Hennessy is going to be his babysitter. When Hennessy and Kian are alone, Hennessy shows Kian a video of Ivy, who has been captured. And he reveals he wants to have control of Kian and he's going to use Ivy to get it. He's going to have some respect, damn it. <laughs> Hell or high water. Kian insists that he needs proof of life. And Hennessy's like, I can't get you that here. So Kian's like, okay, fine. We'll go get a job right now and then we'll leave. So they do. They get a job off the board and drive off the compound. And once they're 50 miles out or whatever, Kian stops the car and makes Hennessy get this proof of life. Hennessy calls Bianca. We find out Ivy's still alive. When the call is ended, 
Hennessy's trying to lord this over Kian, but Kian shoots him in the leg <laughs> and kicks him out of the car in the snow and threatens to let him bleed out unless he gives him Ivy's coordinates right now. <laughs> 15 minutes later, I think he's on the road to go rescue Ivy and he calls up Liam to let everyone else at Trident Rescue know that they need to rescue Ivy. Ivy doesn't know rescue is coming, so she tries her own escape using her doctor stuff. She notices one of the gang members has a limp. She offers to help him fix it and then grabs his gun, but things kind of turn sideways. She runs away. She makes it into their drug lab. Things kind of all culminate into a chaotic moment where Kian and friends are now rescuing. Things are great. The gangbangers are all dead or otherwise handled. We think things are fine, but then whoops, Lucius and the other Obsidian operation people are there now too. Hennessy told them what was going on. And Lucius gives like this whole speech about trust and everything and then murders Hennessy in front of everyone for breaking his trust. <laughs> you hurt my heart. Prepare to die. Kian is aware that things are bad. So he makes an offer to Lucius that he'll give them a longer contract in exchange for Ivy's life and safety, which Lucius is about to accept like a 10 year contract, which I think is just insane. And then Ivy yeah. interrupts this and says, well, I'm a doctor and maybe I could be valuable to you guys too. We should split the contract. So Keenan and I both work five years together and she manages to get Lucius pretty convinced and he goes to shake her hand and then she injects him with a drug medley that she created on the drug lab floor. <laughs> so that was nice. Yay! Then she bluffs. And she tells him that she injected him with poison and only she has the antidote. And she starts talking about the different symptoms that he should be feeling. And he does feel some of those. So he freaks out and agrees to let them both go in exchange for his life. And everyone is now safe. Yay. Kian and Ivy go home and make sweet, sweet love. They share I love yous. Kian proposes. And then there's a record scratch and Ivy says, I can't marry you because you don't take care of yourself. I can't live with someone who I don't know whether or not he'll be safe. I can't live with a daredevil like you. <laughs> Kian's like, what can I do to make you change your mind? I will change whatever you want. I will be whatever you want. And Ivy's like, nope, bye. <laughs> <laughs> Two and a half weeks later, Ivy is moping on the couch at her house. She is sad because she loves Kian and they haven't really talked much except she does send him updates on the baby because she's pregnant, remember? I did not forget, <laughs> but thank you for the reminder. And then Jazz invites herself over for a surprise visit and makes sure that Ivy is watching TV on the correct channel to see Kian give an interview with a military psychologist about how he's taking steps to work on himself. During this interview, he calls Ivy and proposes again, and she accepts because she believes him. Yay. And then we get an epilogue, I guess months later, because now they have the baby. 
Ivy moved back to Denton Valley, works at the clinic again. Kean and Ivy are married, and they had a baby boy that they named Bartholomew after Kean's friend who he lost. The end. How was the audiobook? It was narrated by Lori West and Christian Black. I think it was well narrated. I really think it was well cast. Very well cast. This might be a first. I really wish that they had done a dual narration. Like the duet? Yes. I think it is. I think it's called duet narration, where they sort of intersperse the dialogue. Like, they take on their character throughout the story. So even on, quote unquote, his parts, she's saying the lines and vice versa. Yeah, maybe because it was so well cast. I didn't want the back and forth so much. I wanted it blended. We'll go with that as the reason. You said you had some thoughts about the writing? I did. Maybe maybe you felt similarly. Maybe you felt different. This is your opportunity to say. But I liked Liddell's efficient and precise descriptions. And I also enjoyed the technical aspects of the writing. And I did really enjoy the action scenes. Like the way, the flow, the transitions, all that good stuff. I agree with the action scenes. A lot of the times action scenes get a little muddy. Yes. But I feel like it was pretty clear what was happening when. And I liked how the author switched back and forth between perspectives as we were ramping up for that climax at the end. Yay, some things that we liked. Are you happy for their happy? They make me nervous. I don't know if I'm happy. I'm kind of doing this weird, like, awkward smile thing. Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I thought about it. I'm just like, well, she gets what she wants. He gets what he wants. But yeah, they make me nervous. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So I don't know if I can be happy for them, because I'm kind of like, I'm not real confident in their problem-solving skills. No. I mean, I'm glad he's in therapy. Don't don't get me wrong. I'm really thrilled. This has happened in other stories, too, where it's like a character is one way throughout the story. And then it, at the very end, they throw this. But it'll be fine in the future because of this. I was like, yeah, well, it would have been yeah. great to see some hints of that throughout the story. Because I don't have the confidence. What about you and your happiness? I'm not really happy for them because... Even though with the way it's packaged, it doesn't have a giant tag on it that says abuse. Yeah. It pings a lot of those flags for me. And I feel that Kian could very easily become physically abusive with Mm -hmm. Ivy. And I don't feel like the text gives me much of a reason to think that he wouldn't. And even, even that scene where he shoves her after she slaps him, granted she shouldn't have slapped him. Yes. And he pushes her away, and it's totally an accident that she falls. I'm still wondering, was it, though? He's punched a wall next to her head. Yeah. So it's hard for me to feel okay. Like I was saying before the podcast, when we were talking about the trigger warnings, and we were debating on, should we call the behavior's abuse, should we not call it that, call it something else, back and forth. And I said, the thing is, is he's emotionally abusive throughout the story. <laughs> and it yes. just feels like it is ramping up to that. It really does. Yeah, I, I don't know. I feel it really reminded me of 
my experience with being in an abusive relationship, especially the yelling, making her feel small, Mm -hmm. getting her into a small space so that he can be all big and intimidating, Mm -hmm. punching objects or otherwise destroying objects in her presence. Mm-hmm. just really, really pinged my radar. And quite frankly, if I had been more invested in Ivy, I probably would have been triggered, you know? Yeah. I think it's all well and good to say, oh, he's working on himself and yay. I- I'm glad he is. But is he? It's only been two and a half weeks. And he's been doing this for years. And if we're using the story as as a basis for anything, the story up until that point, he has a pattern of going, it's my way or the highway. Yeah. And the only reason he is changing himself is because Ivy told him, no, Mm -hmm. I won't be with you unless you, she actually didn't say unless you do this. She said, I can't be with someone who is like this. Yes. And so he's like, fine, I'll prove I'm not like this. But it seems very public on purpose, if that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> no, look, see, I tried. Everyone saw. Feels very abuse cycle. Yeah. No, no, look, the flowers. It's fine. I'm better. <laughs> and then showing like a certain face to everyone else and then a different face to the victim Mm -hmm. this is his public persona where he's working on himself yes so because of that i am not happy i don't think ivy is safe yeah i don't think her baby is safe yeah let's rate them (laughs) Woo woo. (laughs) How, how do you rate ivy i think she's awesome i also have the little like added thing that i worry for her i am concerned yes but she she overcomes her things and she stabs the guy with the syringe and makes the chemical and, and does the thing. It's great. She's badass. She overcomes. She establishes her boundaries. You know, no, you're behaving this way. I, I can't. She calls him. I forget at what point. I, it's towards the end of the story. Like, he's an emotionally stunted child, basically. I'm like, uh-huh. Yeah. I, I like that she puts her foot down, but I still don't. I still don't feel happy because I I feel like, like you said, it's this big public display, but their relationship isn't in the public. It's in the private. And I worry about the private. Yes. Because from what I've seen so far, not super convinced that's going to go well. Do you, do you feel that takes away from her awesome at all that she made that choice at the end? No, because just because I see something doesn't mean that she does. And I'm not going to fault her for the choices that she's making in that way. There are, for a wide variety of reasons, people that stay in abusive relationships. And I dislike the societal reaction of judging them negatively for it. Because I don't think that helps. No. I definitely front row saw some of that happen. Where it was like, the response was very victim blamey. Mm. and I don't like it. I wouldn't want anybody to be in an abusive relationship, regardless of the reason. You know, you want people, hopefully, to live their best life, to 
have the best things that can happen for them happen for them, generally speaking. And like I said, I, I don't want to judge people for making that choice. That is not a, a choice that I would make, but I can see how very easily that happens. So yeah, I, I don't take away from her awesomeness for that. Especially, I mean, also because, you know, it is a story. I'm going to imagine good things for her. <laughs> and unless another story comes out and I read it that says otherwise, I can just keep imagining that. Just like if it's a bad movie and I just make up a happy ending for them or something. Yeah. It's the same sort of thing. But yes, no, I am not, I'm not going to fault her or judge her negatively. I just want the best for her. Anyway, what about your rating of Ivy? So I struggled, which is why I asked you that question. Okay. Because I want to rate her awesome. There's many, many awesome things about her, which you talked about. In my awkward, rambly way. <laughs> and, and I don't I don't want to judge her for being in an abusive relationship. I agree that it's not helpful. However, she fucking knows. And yeah. she already told him no. And she was far away. And she didn't have to say yes. Mm -hmm. And he put her in a position to pressure her into that, saying yes, doing it in public, calling her on the phone yeah. over live TV. Yeah. He got his sister in on it, who was her friend. It's just a total trashy, horrible thing to do. And I can see why she could have said yes in the moment, but then maybe take a step back and go, actually, no. Yeah. I said yes because it was live TV, but no, actually, no. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess I struggle to understand what made her flip so quickly, so easily, when throughout the rest of the story, she did not. She has her principles and she stands by them very strongly. Even when she is traumatized by him yelling at her, even when she is intimidated, you know, even when things yeah. are bad, she still stands for her, her principles, her ethics, what she thinks is right. And yet, at the very end, we're expected to believe that for whatever reason, she's not going to now. So while I think the character is awesome, I feel like the writing is awkward for her. Yeah, it would be good to have a reason. I didn't understand why she, she said yes, and then married him. Yeah, it's not clear. I sort of assumed it was because she wanted the white picket fence. But she's a fucking doctor. She can afford her own damn white picket fence. Like, it's it's not about affording it. She doesn't need it. a man. It, agreed. Yeah, she doesn't need a man though. I, she doesn't need a partner to have a good life. I agree. Like I I agree with you. But her thinking may have been. I mean, we don't know because there isn't any textual evidence to support it. I'm just guessing. I'm spitballing. It may have been that she, in her mind, wants to have. Two parents and child. So marry someone else. Totally an option. But she may want to. And she may not... I, I can hear it in my head. He He's working on himself. And wouldn't it be good that the kid has both parents? And, you know... And so just he that, could work on himself for a longer period of time while they stay in contact. And she can see in her head... The dream of that, of of how nice it would be if it all works out. How idyllic. I guess. Well, anyway, I don't want to victim <laughs> blame or shame. I really don't. 
I'm not trying to, but I feel like the author did us dirty because we don't have a good understanding of why she made that choice. Yeah, I think with the kind of romance that this is, where it sort of straddles lines, it would have been very helpful to have that. Other than that, I think Ivy is totally awesome. I would love to be her friend. I would love to know someone like her. Yeah. If she were real, of course, I wouldn't judge her for her choices. I would just want to be there for her. Of course. If she needed a friend. Of course, of course. But, yeah. So I I struggled. (laughs) That's fair. It is okay to struggle. How did you rate Kian? Uh, (laughs) I put him as awful. He got a little note, too. He says, I pity the fool. (laughs) I don't know why it came out of my head, so I wrote it. (laughs) His other little note is borderline triggering, mainly just obnoxious. Again, because the book straddles that line of getting close to to abuse, but like holding the punch. Maybe that was to create tension. Maybe that, who knows. But yeah, I put him as awful because I am unconvinced. I don't trust him. I wouldn't turn my back on him. What about you? (laughs) Yeah, so I kind of struggle with him too, because I feel like the author didn't do as good of a job as they could have to make us better understand his motivations. It felt to me like he was just a textbook abusive man waiting to explode on someone. Mm -hmm. And for that, I have to rate him awful. Yeah. Uh, I just do, because abusers are awful. <laughs> that is fair. Even though he has some horrible stuff happen to him, even though he has a sad history, even though he's got a lot of shit that he's going through, I feel for that aspect of his character. I really do. Yeah, but I did too. that does not give him an excuse to act the way he does. He needs to take responsibility for himself. Yes, it is understandable that because he is hurt, he wants to hurt. However, because of how it's portrayed in the story, it just doesn't make him very sympathetic. No, I don't sympathize with him really at all. I don't understand why in the story it couldn't have been he has these issues, they have their interactions, and then like halfway through the story he gets help or something. I don't understand why we couldn't have had the adrenaline junkie self-destructive behavior without the lashing out abusive behavior. Yeah. I don't know why. Why did we need both? I don't know. I mean, I wanted to find him sympathetic. Because he can be angry and lash out without being abusive. This is true. That's not a necessary part of the story. I don't think. I don't see why it's there. I don't know. Maybe it's because he's only allowed to feel anger. I don't know. I looked through the other books in the series, and I guess they're all enemies to lovers. So maybe this is just how the author writes in enemies to lovers. I don't know. I haven't read any other books by them. I mean, I felt bad. Like, he had horrible things happen to him. He's not coping well. Like I said before, his body is betraying him. All of these things. He needs help. Yes. And instead of his friends having an intervention with him, they have an intervention with Ivy. And they're like, it's your problem now. Yeah. As his woman, you can handle it. (laughs) It's just, like I said, I wanted to. An actual person I would feel very differently for. But this character, I just can't. Well, what about 
the antagonists slash villains. Well, as an antagonist, I feel like Kyan was very effective. Yeah. And the other antagonists, which I labeled as gangsters of the streets and mercenary varieties, they were effective. I sort of feel like Kyan was more effective. At least with the B3 or whatever they are. That was sort of throughout. The mercenaries, not quite as much. I guess we're supposed to feel bad because he sells himself to the mercenaries, which, again, if if I had sympathy for that character at that point, I would have felt bad, but I didn't, so. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense because he was kind of like a cornered animal at that point. Yeah. His whole life was crashing down around his ears and he didn't want to seek the help, and so that was really the only outlet he could find for continuing his self-destructive behavior. For me, he is low-key looking to suicide and he is looking for someone else to pull the trigger he doesn't think he deserves to live yeah but just having him lash out at everything and the heroine whenever she calls him out or does something yeah no (laughs) i was arguing with him (laughs) not particularly helpful (laughs) but it was just frustrating he was very frustrating what about you and the antagonists So for me, I also put the gang members and then also the mercenary people. I think the gang members, I didn't feel were very effective. I think they were just there to push her plot along. Mm. But it wasn't hard to handle them. And really the only time it was genuinely scary for her on the page was when Candy Crush attacks her. But she gets rescued pretty quickly. And it's fine. And then he's fine. Like he's beaten to a pulp and who knows if he'll wake up. Yeah. I would have liked some more exploration for the Obsidian Ops storyline. Because it was interesting how, like I said, Kian kind of was backed into a corner. And that's why he signed up with them. Mm -hmm. Because he wanted to continue with his lifestyle. And they would enable that. His lifestyle, which is a downward spiral. But yeah. Yeah. And and they were genuinely scary. Yeah. Lucius was scary. Psychopathic level scary. And he's just got like this group of ex-military men working for him, doing whatever, you know, because they're not necessarily doing good things on all these missions. They're doing whatever will pay. Mm -hmm. And having that be maybe something that takes up a longer portion of the story would have been nice where Kian can kind of learn for himself why what he's doing is bad. Yeah. Instead of having the pregnancy bring it all up to the forefront where now he needs to get out because Ivy's pregnant. Instead, it could be he gets out because he realizes he doesn't want to live his life this way. Yes. That would have been nice. But I think his antagonists, they were effective. I think they could have been more effective. I I put Emma on the list. I really struggled with her because they just kind of sweep her behavior under the rug. Yeah. But Kian really jumps to conclusions because he's like, oh, Ivy must have been in on all this, which is just bullshit based on what he knows about her. I know. But. (laughs) I was like, wow, your opinion of her flipped real quick, especially at that point in the story. Yeah, but Emma doesn't give a shit. She just... 
She doesn't give a shit about her sister in a, like, it was hard to understand because she's like totally on her sister's side. Oh, yes. Stay away from that asshole. Here, I'll tell him off for you. All that. But on the other hand, she was willing to blow up her sister's relationship for a gossip column. Yes. I mean, that was pretty messed up. That's why I was looking for clarification. I was like, wait, did she do it because her sister showed up bleeding? And she's like, well, screw this guy. I don't know for sure, but I don't think so. I think that she had that happen already. I, I totally think you're right. I just, I guess I would have found the other one more understandable. Again, understanding is not approval. Yeah. It's not approval, but I would understand. It would have made more sense, though. Yes. And then, of course, Kian. Of course, Kian. Yeah. He was, I would say, the main villain of the story, the main antagonist of the story for himself, for Ivy, for everyone he comes to contact with. I think it was awkward for me because we're supposed to like him. Yeah, you should root for him or like him or something. Yeah, so I, I would rate that awkward more than effective, I would say. And he doesn't really face his problems, I don't think. The only reason... He does is when he gets rejected by Ivy, but we don't really get to see any of that on page. So I don't know. And then other than that, I have the whole idea of how the ex-military is treated in general mm. and their mm -hmm. mental health and well-being. Yep. Which is a underlying theme of the story, I would say. And I feel like we could do better for our veterans and current serving members. Uh Great. Mental health is important, as well as physical well-being. It's all connected. <laughs> we could do better. Yes, yes. In the world of the story, Kian was definitely failed by yeah. everyone around him. Yep. Until he met Ivy, who would not lie in her capacity as doctor. Everyone else was willing to rug sweep it. Yeah. Which is just very concerning. Yes! It really is. It's, it's the sympathy thing. Like, I wanted to feel bad for him. All these people are letting him down. I just can't bring myself to do it. Like, I have a lot of mixed feelings about the military, but at the end of the day, they're human beings, and we can do better for their mental and physical health. Agreed. Yes, yes. Damn. Yeah. How did you rate the book? So I gave the book a 2.5. For the things that I liked about it. What about you? I rated it a two. Okay. I really struggled with this book. I think there are two reasons I struggled with the book. One was the abusive through line. Yes. It wasn't really called out ever. No. And then the other part that I struggled with has to do with the writing in that it felt like there were a few places it could have ended. And then it's like, oh, oh, there's more story. Okay, let's keep going then. More story. Got it. Mm. Uh, <laughs> because we get the situation with the gang members resolved. And then I think it could have ended around that point. Yeah. But instead, she rejects him. And so we have this whole other storyline with the Obsidian Ops, which honestly, I, I did like that storyline, but... Me too. It felt really late in the game. Yeah. And I was kind of ready for the book to be done by that point. And so I wish it had been introduced earlier. Yeah, I must admit, like, when, when the gangster thing was wrapping up, like, I looked at my phone, I was like, 
think there's like an hour left to go. It's like, I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, I just didn't really enjoy it, I guess. I guess this is the weird time to ask. Did you feel romanced? Oh, God, no. Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. No. I, I, I'm i not surprised. No. <laughs> there were too many things that just pinged my radar. Fair enough. What about you? <laughs> no. No, no romance. <laughs> I wrote... The feels I experienced were not romantic at all. No romance, only anger. Like, that's the thing, is I, I pitied a lot of the characters. I felt bad for them. But that did not cause romantic feels. That just made me <laughs> sad. For them. Yeah. Made me angry. That too. Like I said, feelings, not romantic. Or at least I don't associate anger with romance, but, you know, to each his own. Kian does. He's not alone. Maybe I, Ivy does. <laughs> like I said, not alone. But not me. <laughs> me neither. What else have you been reading? Or watching? Or partaking <laughs> in? Yeah, so this is the quote-unquote recommendation section. I'm not necessarily saying I'm recommending this. I've just started it. I'm not even sure I like it. Jury's still out. You're recommending it for a very specific potential audience, right? Yeah. I mean, so if you like Twin Peaks, this is supposed to be Twin Peaksy. So if you like that, then check out Wayward Pines, which is M. Night Shyamalan uh, produced it. I don't think he directs it. So it's based on a trilogy of books called The Wayward Pines, which perhaps I will read after this. As far as the genre goes, it's mystery sci-fi thriller. I'm only a couple episodes in, but I won't spoil because mystery. So you meet U.S. Secret Service agent Ethan Burke, and he's in a remote small town called Wayward Pines, Idaho. And he's there to find out what happened to his partners, one of whom it's kind of obvious there may have been some romantic things going on. Ooh. Yes. So it's very much a creepy vibe, confusing show, because mystery. And it's got Matt Dillon, who plays Burke. And I want to root for him. We'll see how that goes. And it also has Terrence Howard as the sheriff of Wayward Pines. And he is... And I mean this as a compliment. It may not sound like it. So I, I feel like I need to state that it's a compliment. He is unsettling as shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting there going, oh, I feel quite creepified. But it's good because it's the vibe. You know, the nurse is super unsettling. Like, it's good if you're looking for that. Anyway. Nice. So that's what I've been consuming as far as my story, storytelling thing. I don't know. Oh, words are hard. Consumption. Yep. I feel weird saying consumption. <laughs> like, it's such a weird word to use, but I can't think of another one. So what about you? What have you been reading, consuming, digesting, whatever word it is that we're using? I recently finished Love Theoretically by Allie Hazelwood. It's a rom-com, contemporary romance. We have Elsie, who is a theoretical physicist, but also, in order to help make her bills, she is a fake girlfriend and oh, goes yay. on fake dates. With people. Unfortunately, 
her two separate lives collide when she is applying for a job and one of the people interviewing her is the brother of her fake boyfriend who has always secretly had a thing for her Mm. and (laughs) thinks she's fucking his brother over now. (laughs) It's a really good story. Really, really sweet. Elsie is the type of person who's a total people pleaser. She has a habit of figuring out what type of Elsie a specific type of person will need. And then she is that Elsie for that person. Oh, okay. And so she doesn't really know exactly who she is or what she likes or doesn't like. And Jack, our hero, wants her to be who she actually is. And he likes that about her. Yay. Good quality in a hero. Yeah, it's just a really sweet story. Really cute. Lots of funny parts. I've read a couple books by this author, and I think I'm probably going to read some more. Good deal. So that is it for this time. Check out our website, romancemepodcast.com. We have links there, like our show notes and other episodes and our reading lists. You can subscribe on Apple, Google, Amazon, or Spotify. And I took down all our links to social media because I don't know what we're doing with that yet. (laughs) But if you want to talk to us, you can comment on our website or leave us a review. Were you romanced by I Being Kind Story? Come to our website. Let us know what you think. Talk amongst yourselves, the book, the podcast, dare I say romance. And join us next time if you want, when we're going to discuss Never Seduce a Scot by Maya Banks. Yeah, and Em's going to take point. Uh, unwillingly, yes. (laughs) 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 And I think that will be our first Scottish romance. It will. I was like, oh my gosh, we have Scottish music, and we have never done a Scottish romance. I feel like it's time. (laughs) I think we've hinted at this for long enough. (laughs) (laughs) Rip those bodices. Let's get going. Let's flip up that kilt and get on with the thing. Tie a bow around what's underneath. You can tie the bow. I will cheer you on. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I can keep that in. I am mortified at myself. (laughs) Are we pausing or are we still pattering? I don't know what we're doing. I don't know what we're doing. I guess we could stop. Let's stop. Make it stop.